Welcome to another episode of the Brown and Black Podcast. My name is Jack Rico. And I'm Mike Sark. And every week we take a look at race and pop culture through a brown and black lens. This week, we bring you the last of a series of special sponsored episodes celebrating Black History Month featuring in-depth reviews of films from Universal Pictures Home Entertainment Vault. The theme, Black films that have become cultural phenomenons. And we dissect that. We break it down. We look at each film. We do a deep dive and we talk about why that is. Why are they so special? And they're all available their own on digital and disc and with deleted scenes and special features, which are great. And we're going to talk about that, too. And each film that we've covered this month represents a different genre of film. Thank you to Universal Pictures for the paid support of this episode. In this episode, we will delve into the Oscar-nominated film Straight Outta Compton, a powerful and thought-provoking commentary on the Black experience in America. I heard you've been spending a lot of time at your auntie's house. How's the couch life? Got my woman and my baby living there. It's hard, man. But you know, everybody can't do what you do. Really, what I do getting played out, Dre. Where the money at? And why you gotta be so ruthless, cuz? I'll make a few changes. Where you think you're going? I'm just trying to get home. That's my son. You need to get back in the house or I can ruin your life. I gotta talk to my moms like that. You had to change. To change the situation. Would you take it? Just hit that first beat hard, all right? You cruising down the street. All right. Cruising down the street in my 6 Hey, that was dope, eh? You're listening to Compton's very own Ice Cube, Easy e and Dr. Dre. I got to tell you, you are witnessing history. People are scared of you guys. You have a unique voice. The world needs to hear. They want N.W.A.? Let's give them N.W.A. This is only the tip of the iceberg, gentlemen. What's going on? What do you have in that bag? Are you kidding me? You can't take that in the bus. This song glamorized gangs and drugs. Our art is a reflection of our reality. You guys supposed to be somewhere? These are artists. Rap is not an art. You cannot come down here and harass my clients because of what they look like. I promise you, things are gonna be different from here on out. Listen, to be honest with you, I don't know anything about hip-hop, but I know that you're special. You want to be involved with this gangster life? Here we go. Speak a little truth and people lose their mind. So unless you've been living under a rock, you know what this film is about. Straight Outta Compton is about the rise of a group called NWA. This is in the mid-80s. This is during a time where the police were harassing black people daily. Black neighborhoods, <laughs> not unlike today, were under attack. Literally, the film opens up with a, a tank ramming into a home. And let's just hope it was the right home. So I say all that to say that this was a very pivotal time in America, in black culture, and in music. So NWA putting out the kind of songs they were caused a lot of conflict. And this movie definitely traces, yeah, this did. This movie traces people who are now iconic, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, Easy E, 
DJ Ren, DJ Yella. These are all names that if you know hip hop or if you know rap music at all, you know these names and you know what NWA actually stands for. So straight out of Compton is, in my opinion, cannot be overstated about the social significance of this film. All of these things, the finding how the group got together, their rise, their breakup, their solo careers, and then what would have happened if Eazy-E had not passed. Oof. That's what this film is, but it's directed by F. Gary Gray, who started out doing music videos for Ice Cube and directed one of the most famous Ice Cube videos, which is, this was a good day. And it's a great <laughs> music video. And then his first feature film was Friday, which was Ice Cube's first script. And it was a huge hit and it launched his career. So for them to come back now over 20 years later and work together to tell the story of this group that rose from South Central L.A. at two hours and 27 minutes, it's epic and it is worth every minute. I happen to think that Straight Outta Compton is probably the best music biopic film of the last 10, 20 years. And there's still criticisms about the film from, from certain camps that it's still a bit sanitized. And you're going, what? Damn, anything else would have been just war. Let's just go to war, you know? Uh, this was bad enough. And so the significance and the cultural significance of this film is to recapture once again, how art has been an expression of a society that's been marginalized, that's been oppressed. And through art, they've been able to get out, rebuild, reconstruct, heal from uh, a lot of the injustices that have been put on a particular group, man. And I include the Latinos in there as well, because one of the things that the film doesn't do, uh, and I get it because it's about these five guys, but it doesn't really include how Latinos were a part of that universe as well as being marginalized and oppressed. But we'll get into that in a little while. I wanted to quickly, Mike, ask you about your first reaction. How did you go into the film? And then when it ended, how did it strike you? Did you think it had the potential to win an Oscar and kind of like change the way we saw black movies moving forward or at least black prestige films moving forward? I was aware, you know, it was a West Coast thing, you know, what they call gangster rap. And, and, and I was aware of rap music from growing up in Queens, you know, and I knew East Coast rap and I knew like that whole scene, you know, in terms of what was going on with hip hop music. I wasn't, I wasn't, I wasn't going to concerts, but I was clearly aware of all this music. Its impact on music and culture, you, you mentioned Latino. Not only were they part of it, but the, the best thing about rap and, and rap was really talking about life and, and about music really is that every culture can relate to being in the position. Cultures around the world can relate to what NWA was talking about in those songs. So going to see the film, I was aware of their, their careers and I wanted to see the film. I wouldn't say I was unprepared for how good it was, but uh, hmm. I was I was blown away. I was blown away. Yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, we'll jump to the rewatch, but I had forgotten how good this film was. <laughs> yeah, right. Just okay, the opening scene. I was forgotten how good his film was and, and how impactful in it. And I think it even hit me more now 
But that first time seeing the film, I was filled with thoughts and feelings as it happened. There's something about watching black people, people of color under siege. It's almost like a horror movie. Every time the cops show up, what's going to happen? Could somebody get hurt, get killed, get something broken? Like what's going to happen? And, and the attitude of the cops in the film, it, it, it's a frightening reality. And understanding not just the music, because we all heard the music, but understanding the why. Yeah. Exactly where that sprang from. There are a lot of things about you could say about the film, and we'll get into it deep. But I think my first reaction was like, wow, I'm very glad this, this film was made. Now, I'm, I'm just curious for you now, Jack, though. What was that whole era of music for you? Were you an NWA fan? And then when this movie was announced, even like, what were your thoughts going in? Did it bring you back? Talk well, I remember seeing the movie and knowing NWA because of Ice Cube. As a Latino, I had a very different experience than you did. You know, we're still both a part of the marginalized society of the United States. And of course, we see these movies as almost time capsules of either our youth or an era that we experienced and the way we processed those visuals. I'm not a rap fan. I'm not a hip hop fan, even though I grew up in the cradle of New York City when hip hop was born. How Latinos influenced in the late 70s and radio. Kids, public schools. I mean, this is where hip hop was spread. This is where it was approved. It was in our schools, junior high, high school, New York City, Queens, the Bronx. And I got to say, a lot of hip hop to me was scary, Mike. I already lived in a very low income neighborhood, went to public schools, not private schools. So we were as poor. I was a part of gangs forced to be in gangs because if not, they were going to beat me up. I grew up the East coast version of what a lot of maybe not as bad as the Compton right experience, but damn man, when there's gangs and drugs and kids going to jail at the age of 14, 15 years old to juvenile delinquency, like this is what we were all growing up with. And for me, when I heard the music, the music just created fear in me it was aggressive it was angry and i thought that i didn't understand the racial implications at 14 about why public enemy was speaking about the injustices of society i'm like why are these guys so angry man there was this toxic machismo as well latinos already come from a toxic machista culture in latin america very patriarchal to whatever the man says. That's just Latin culture for many generations. Then I see rap, hear it on the radio, go to school, hip hop blowing up. And it's hard. I'm afraid, man. I don't identify in any way with that culture, with that aggression. I don't have the same racial implications to fuel that fire. There's a lot of confusion going on. So that's how I got into NWA, but it was more of an acquired taste at that time. It wasn't until I was an adult that I got to really understand 
the power and the and the why factor more than anything of why this band needed to exist, why these songs needed to be written, and why the world needed to hear it. Yo, Dre, what up? I got something to say. I decided to do this movie because I wanted to understand why you would write these lyrics. This comes from somewhere, and it comes from somewhere deep. You guys supposed to be somewhere? You cannot come down here and harass my clients because of what they look like. Now people can see what we went through. NWA was pushing back against any system that seeks to oppress you unrightfully. What you see when you go outside your door? I know what I see. What's unfortunate is that it's still relevant. This movie is definitely going to touch in those areas, but the story is amazing, and Gary Gray has done an amazing job. This movie goes beyond being a movie about history and more about what's relevant now. That's why we make this movie today. It's for what you're about to do right now. Mike, straight out of Compton, had a huge impact on popular culture and had a mass audience appeal. Not many black movies get to do that. I mean, we've seen Black Panther, but straight out of Compton delivered that with a level of prestige that not many people thought that could happen. It became the highest grossing movie from an African-American director and showed the explosive power that art, music can have in a society. But when a black man sees this film Mike, in 2023, how does this movie look like after Eric Gardner, Tyree Nichols? Touched upon this with Queen and Slim uh, last episode. The thing that resonates most is the thing that is the most disappointing. And that is nothing has changed. Okay, they just beat Rodney King. That's all they did. They beat him. They killed Tyree Nichols. They killed George Floyd, you know, and I can go down the list. So we're living in a time where we have states trying to wipe out black history. So for me, straight out of Compton is black history. It's recent black history. It's black history that just happened. They can't deny it. What is fantastic for me about a film like straight out of Compton? is that it's not fiction. Sure, they may have taken some liberties, they left some things out, but they're still telling a story. This is, in many ways, a small story. It's only about a handful of, of young men, but the implications are gigantic. They're global. Right. They hint that the effect they're having, and you see how the audience expands from being mostly Black folks to a lot of people who are enjoying mm -hmm. the music, the beats, the lyrics, understanding it, relating to it, uh, that aggression that may have scared you when you were young, you, you embrace differently when you're older or depending on what you've experienced. You know, F. Gary Gray talked about how that music for him, when he heard it, it, it was his story. He, he felt right. ownership. And as a, as a young black man, you know, representation is everything. So even if I don't want to be seen specifically this way, I still know that it's important to have that representation. So is this type of masculinity, the type of masculinity that we should be glorifying? 
I don't think it's glorification. I think movies in many ways, because of what they are larger than life. Okay. That's glorification, you know? So, so any movie in many ways could be glorifying whatever it's showcasing. So I'll say that, but I feel like it's the truth. It was part of that music. It was part of that time. It was part of the culture. It was part of being a black male, especially at that time, good or bad. It was. And I think that you can't pretend that it wasn't, you know, people have criticized it for being too sanitized. Okay. I mean, that's the same problem I have with, with, you know, not telling black history, period. If you don't tell it, not only are you doomed to repeat it, but it's important to embrace it. Germany would never have gotten over their past if they did not face it. Ava DuVernay tweeted around the time that this movie came out. And I think it speaks to what you're talking about. And she, she tweeted, to be a woman who loves hip hop at times is to be in love with your abuser. Because the music was and is that. And yet, the culture is ours. Now, wow. I think, yeah, I think that's pretty powerful. And I think it says what it is. It's like you, you embrace it at the same time. You may have issue with it, but it's still yours. There's still something to it because you understand it. Even if you don't agree with it, I, I can't say I'm proud of my black men at the time. I can't say anything like that. But I also understand that sometimes that machismo, right? That's all you have. That, that's what you need to have to survive. Yeah. And along with it is all the other toxicity that comes with that machismo. Right, so. right. And it's funny because a lot of these actors, you know, like Corey Hawkins is from Juilliard. <laughs> so he's not necessarily that rough. He had to learn to how learn to it. be rough. Well, listen, and so the bottom f- line is you, you look in the movie, Easy E wasn't that rough. <laughs> yeah, you I know. know? <laughs> the whole thing was... An image. Yeah. So. An image that then was approved and, 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 and sort of asserted by the audience. It's like, we want more of that image. We like it. It, it, it expresses not, our anger exactly, to what's going on. Exactly, yeah. Exactly. Tupac's the perfect example. He was not like from the streets like that, but he represented that image. He, he talked from that space. This music gave us a voice. They were reporting on what they saw in their communities. These young men who tried to stand for something. They want N.W.A.? Let's give them N.W.A. They pioneered modern day rap. Eminem, 50 Cent, Snoop Dogg, all of it comes from this. We made it okay for you to be yourself and do it how you want to do it. How you go from selling rocks in a dope house to eating dinner in a white house? In this next segment, we're going to be talking about the deeper conversation of Straight Outta Compton. This is where we go ahead and be really real (laughs) a lot about the subject matter that happens in the movies that we're watching. The first thing I want to bring up to you, Mike, is the music industry. And what was it like for NWA at that time as a black group, as a black rap group, talking about the injustices of police brutality, but also about white systems. There's a white man by the name of Jerry Heller who was managing them. They weren't making the money. He was. So what was your thought? And and how do you see white people profiteering off of black art? Well, a couple things here, Jack. I think the commodification of black paint 
has been essentially what built this country. So I only see the music business as an extension. You know, what we see in music all the time, whether it's an artist like an Elvis watching, then emulating, then ripping off black artists, or it's the producer, managers, the, the, I don't have to even name them, who are wealthy, rich. Music industry is littered with black musicians who were huge and died penniless or had their money mismanaged or, or taken advantage by uh, whether it was a manager or the record label or, or uh, an accountant. This is an ongoing thing. And I love that they cast Paul Giamatti because he's so likable. Like you like Paul Giamatti. You want to hang out with him. Like you, like he seems like he's a, he's a nerd and he's fun and he's like, he, he means well, you know, but I, I really enjoyed his performance. I felt it spoke to the larger picture of countless, countless black artists and rap music. The worst thing about it is that maybe Suge Knight was worse because it's your own people doing it to you. To me, that's worse. Whether it's 5 million or 50 million, I feel it's worse when your own people screw you over. I have to say that. And, and I think that that is also a product of, you know, the pedagogy of the oppressed. You know, you get in a position where you're in power and you act like those who disempowered you. Oh, I know what you're saying, Mike. Uh, there's a movie called Ma Rainey's Black Bottom with Viola Davis that came out on Netflix. It spoke about the same issues with black artists and white owners of these record labels, because how many African-Americans, how many black people owned their own recording studios at that time? That was very expensive to have, but it was the talent, black talent that white owners could not live without because they knew that that was the best. They knew that with their resources and black talent, everyone could make money. That was the promise. But then they ended up corrupting these deals. And a lot of this happened with Latinos too. I'm not sure if you remember uh, Fania All-Stars. When Salsa first started in the 70s, Jerry Marsucci, that dude's an Italian dude from Brooklyn. Him and Johnny Pacheco did funny all, uh, you know, uh, funny records. But today, you know, a lot of those records are owned by white people. So to me, I think my question, Mike, you know, when you watch a movie like Straight Outta Compton and you see how Ice Cube and everybody else down the line became wealthy, but not at that moment, not from those contracts, though. My question to you is, how do you solve the issue of black art or even Latino art not being commodified and profiteered from? Because this is cultural appropriation, man. That's the definition of cultural appropriation. It's taking the art of someone else and profiteering from it when it's not yours. But then again, and here's the catch 22, without white record owners, Black art can't be expressed at the scale to make them have a, make a living off of it and be famous for their talents, for their gifts. Is there a tightrope? Like, how does that work? Let's put it this way. The systems are in place and they benefit those who put those systems in place. And, you know, that's why 
certain individuals have to be, you have to become a disruptor, essentially. Right. You have to disrupt, you have to disrupt what, the, what the status quo is. The, one of the inspirational things about Straight Outta Compton is watching both Ice Cube and Dr. Dre walk away. Yeah. Ice Cube walked away at that time from $75,000, which I'm sure was a lot of money. He had a baby on the way. He just bought a house, all these things he was saying. And then you saw that Dre walked away. And that was something like $50 million. But what, what stood out to me about both of them is they had the belief in themselves, in their own art, in their ability to create it. They were going to do it. You know what? Okay, this is what it is with you. I'm going to just do it. I'm going to do my own thing, which is what Dre said. Yeah, I'm going to do my own thing. And I, and I think that that's, that's what Blacks and Latinos have to do. They have to do their own thing. They have to create their own systems. Mike, how do you think Black art influences society? Because look, man, when we think about Straight Outta Compton, you can't talk about this movie without understanding how art can influence societal injustices. You can't. But this is also something not new. In the 50s and the 60s, we were dealing with civil rights. And the music of that time, I mean, we remember it, Motown, Marvin Gaye, they were the soundtrack of those riots. And then you go into like the 70s with the Vietnam War and John Lennon and Bob Dylan. Then you go into the 80s and then you have Public Enemy, KRS-One, LL Cool J. Ice-T. In the West Coast, you're getting Tupac. You're getting N.W.A. I mean, this is like a form of protest music. And if this is protest music and the movie's being sort of built around this, then isn't this protest cinema? Well, I think that, that yes, I would say it is protest cinema. It's protest art. That's something, again, we touched upon last episode with Queen and Slim, because it's an activist film. I, you know, you mentioned that in the, in the 60s, we were dealing with civil rights. Dude, we're still dealing with civil rights. <laughs> civil rights are still being violated right now. You're right. right. Now. I guarantee while we are talking and doing this podcast, somebody's civil rights, probably somebody of color, right now, their civil rights are being violated. The courage it took for these men. Mm -hmm. you know, with all their flaws to do what they did at that time to get up on a stage when the police tell you do not sing that song we will arrest you and they get up on the stage and they do it anyway that's courage you don't just do that because you enjoy the groove you do that because you're willing you know, to that. die for your art yeah, right. that, yeah it, you're protesting it, it's you much know, more than music exactly to me i i feel like the the role of of Art is always to motivate, to, to change. And I think that the reason that this film did so well, again, it's not just because of black people going to see this movie. It's because people got a chance to maybe understand something that they didn't. Well, sit tight and let us do our job. Hey, officer, I'm sorry. What is going Sir, on out? Can you stay right there, please? We're trying to check these bangers, make sure they're clean. All right. I'm sorry. These are not bangers. Okay. These, um, these are artists. Excuse me, artists? Yeah. Seriously? Yeah. What kind of artists? Rappers. And they're working with me in the studio right now. Well, see, rap is not an art. And I'm sorry, who are you? I'm the manager. Well, you're wasting your time, Mr. Manager. You gotta be kidding me. You're wasting your time. Really? These, these clients of yours, these yeah. rappers, yeah. they look like gang members. You can't come down here and arrest people just because of what they look like. Are you crazy? Ow, ow, ow. 
but that's police harassment. You said you're a manager, right? Yeah. Not a lawyer. Does that matter? You cannot come down here and harass these guys because they're black. Mike, in this segment, the movie conversation, I want to talk about one thing specific, and I want to kind of just jump out of the gate with this. How was this movie not nominated for many more Oscars? If you remember back in 2016, Straight Outta Compton and Creed were nominated at the same time, and Michael B. Jordan was a black lead actor for that film. And if you remember, the outcome of that was that we were all going into like, oh my God, you dude, it's, it's like black prestige and black event entertainment. Like this is the future of cinema. This is the peak of black culture. And then if we remember, the outcome of that was that Sylvester Stallone, the white guy, won for Creed, which was essentially a black Rocky movie with Sylvester saying pretty much goodbye to the franchise. And in Straight Outta Compton, the only Oscar nomination it won was for its two white writers. The black directors, F. Gary Gray in that movie, Ryan Coogler in the other one, each of them completely ignored with their black cast fully even shut though, out. Even though the film was nominated for Best Picture. <laughs> So here's my question. How does, how do you feel about the only Oscar nomination going to these two white men for black films? What does that say, Mike? It says something my mother used to say. That's par for the course. Okay. It's par for the course. And let's put it this way. He made a lot of money. The film got nominated for best picture in the industry. He is respected. And I'm talking about F. Gary Gray and I think Ryan Coogler too. Ryan Coogler now has gone on to make the most money making black film of all time, essentially. You were asking before, like, how do we, you know, how do we break this paradigm? You just keep it moving. All right. You're not going to get the accolades that your white counterparts will get. Doesn't matter. You keep going ahead. You keep making good work. You keep doing great art. You keep Beyonce didn't win, but you know what? Her, her concerts are selling out. You still have to keep being true to you and your art. So I, I, I feel like these contests and, and as we've talked about that validation from that system may be elusive, but it shouldn't stop them. And, and, and hopefully it won't. All I That's think about Mike is that I don't know, this is going to be, have to be a generational thing. And let me explain to you why I understand that Please. the goal of black art is to express black culture. I get it. But when that culture is not recognized on a global level because someone is oppressing them, you understand that if you win something, if you're recognized for something, people write about you. It's gotten that validation. But in the Oscars and the Academy, and this is where I'm going to be very specific, F. Gary Gray, if you look, and we'll get into the bonus features in a little while in the next segment, but if you look at all those bonus features, Mike, F. Gary Gray is the real deal, dude. Action! 
why I wanted Gary to shoot the movie because I knew I wouldn't have to explain to him this part because he's lived it. He grew up South Central Los Angeles. Speaking of the man himself, don't wait to understand. Hey, y'all got something to say about Compton? Gary is a stickler for detail. He has so much respect for the hood. He really into this movie. And he just, he's capturing it. Beautiful. This is LA, South Central, turn it up. I love that these guys have allowed me to tell their story. Today, this is my most important movie. That dude as a leader, what he did with that movie was insane. And for it not to be recognized, I'm sorry, you can't just go, well, we got our message across. No, dude, what you did was incredible. This is a travesty that these people aren't being recognized. And so, I don't know, brother. To me, this ain't going to change anytime soon. This is going to have to be a generational thing. We're going to have to really put people of color numbers voting. We can't have this math problem for the rest of our lives. So now we're going to get to the bonus features, and there are a number of them. There's behind the scenes, there's deleted scenes, and there are some featurettes on the making of the film, uh, which was completely fascinating. Because yeah. Because you got the original NWA members there with their actors playing them. And it, it, it meta. Was fascinating. So but meta. I have a bo- before we get into them, yeah. before we get into them, I had a bonus question I wanted to ask you. Because you mentioned something earlier uh, about, you know, the Latino uh, contributions. Yeah. And and I just want to know, what do you feel would be the Latino equivalent of a straight out of Compton? Would it be the, you know, the Fania All-Stars in that time? Like, what do you feel there could be a movie that could Absolutely! First of all, the, the untold story of how Latinos contributed to hip hop. The definitive story, not a documentary, but like a scripted sort of biopic. Like a movie series. Like a, like a, no, I want it to be a film. All right. For example, contributions from Kid Frost, Mellow Man Ace, Cypress Hill, A Lighter Shade of Brown, Gerardo. (laughs) You remember Rico, Suave, Big Pun, Lisa, Lisa, Joe, Lisa, Lisa. I mean, all of these great, Rappers, hip hop artists that because black culture is so imposing uh, in its world, we really are trying to find a way to say, hey, we also participated. I mean, when you see Baz Luhrmann's a Netflix show that unfortunately didn't do well, uh, but that incorporated Latinos, Dominicans, Puerto Ricans into that whole process, but not many people saw it, unfortunately. But I think that that's still Spike Lee, Busta Rhymes. They've been out publicly. Go look at it on YouTube where they have said that Puerto Ricans are also creators, originators of the original hip hop. And that's not really seen. Not that this movie should talk about it, but maybe reference it somehow. And no one wants to reference it. That's my beef in particular of why you see a lot of hip hop movies that don't include Latinos, man. And that is unfair. Sounds like we're going to make this film. That's what it sounds like. <laughs> All right. Now I want to get into the bonus features. So for you, what was, was the most enlightening 
bonus feature. F. Gary Gray. I mean, I I was shocked that he didn't get an Oscar nomination. After after you watch these bonus features, once again, I saw the bonus features first. Then I saw the movie because it allowed me a bigger context of what to look for. Um, and for me, the detail, the attention to detail from him towards this film and how this film did not mean just the art. It was an expression of black pain and black identity, black trauma that he used this to me as a healing device for all the things that he grew up with, all the, 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 the troubles that affected him personally. And then to get together with Dre cube to do this movie. And you could tell by then themselves, if you look at, you know, becoming NWA, I think is one of the, uh, the, the, the featurette scenes. Man, those featurette scenes were everything to me, man. It just really allowed me to get to know NWA from a personal level, from an artistic level, and the broader context of how they felt making this movie and what they felt that this was going to do for their culture. Welcome to Compton. Our whole message at that time was just putting Compton on the map. I mean, Compton is a tough place. It always has been. Hey Q, what's your poet now? The flyest one, you know. <laughs> Music was our only weapon, our only way to combat what's been happening to our neighborhoods over this many years. I will ruin your night. Oh, I gotta talk to my moms like that. We went right to the point. What no sugarcoating, nothing. This is where we from. This is how it is. When I think of NWA, it was more like a real lifestyle. Brothers from my neighborhood that made it out. We wanted you to pay attention to us, you know what I mean? We wanted to come out and make a statement. You have a unique voice. The world needs to hear it. Tell them where you're from. It's a good time for us to tell our story. Some kids from Compton, how we touch the world. I'm coming straight out of Compton. Coming NWA was probably my favorite uh, special feature on there where, you know, seeing the, you know, because after you watch the movie, like you, you want to go back and want to watch like, <laughs> yeah, you want to say like, all right, so let me look at the real guys, you know, history in the making. Yeah, you already know. Got to get all the way easy. The fact that we're using new talented black artists is like very important. Opening the door for new for new guys that have this type of talent. You know, we didn't want to go out and get the typical black actors that are out there doing their thing. It would have made it feel funny and possibly a little fake. There your body is right now, Corey. Mm -hmm. Keep it there. Yeah. Dre is on the turntables and he's mixing. It's time. Right, right, right. Keep that. Keep that thing. Right. Yeah. Jazzy Jeff actually did the scratching, and Corey had to learn the scratching. And after, I think, the second or third take, Corey got into a groove, and you could feel that love for music like Dre has. It just transported you back to the 80s in a good way. I agree with you about F. Gary Gray and what he did with this, because, you know, I, I remember reading interviews with, with him at the time, and he said he was he was a cameraman. For the local news at the time so he was you know during the rodney king rise during that time he was he was there covering news and one of the other great things i think that he did with this film is because f gary gray is such a great storyteller and you know we've talked about this a little bit before but doing music videos or commercials you really have to know how to tell a story yeah quickly you get a lot in the frame and but there's also a style there's a lyricism to music videos you know obviously 
And I love that, that lyricism to this film, how the camera goes across the street. Yeah, well, that was Melina Matsukas in Queen and Slim as well. Queen and Slim as well. And, and I love that feeling of traveling through this world at this time, especially the riot scene. There's, there's a great special feature on What a Ford. scene. My DP, Maddie Libertique, was able to give me the look that I wanted, which is something that's edgy, something that was realistic, that captures the edge that the group represented at the time. So there's a visual language that we had to create. You know, the city burned for three days. The art department did a fantastic job recreating chaos. We used reference of photographs, stock footage from that era to recreate the riot scene. Gary actually picked every slogan, even the graffiti that's written on each wall. Gary picked it out, what the words should say, what color it should be. He put layers and textures onto the, to the atmosphere to make it real. This street has been recreated as just as one of the blocks in South Central LA. What a scene, the riot scene, Wow. And, and because I remember watching that on TV. Yeah, and, me too. And, we and all did, dude. Yes. And, and he said something in that, the special features that, you know, that I hope the listeners will watch. And he said that when you watch those and you're not there, you wonder, well, what could make a community want to destroy their own? Yeah. Family? That's deep. What, what's that about? That's deep. And, 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 that, and that's what this movie shows you. This movie shows what was going on. There's a great scene in the movie where you know and i don't know how much it's an amalgam or or if it actually happened but there's a great scene in the movie where they're recording their first album and then they get harassed by the police when they're standing out there taking a break and that was the inspiration for fuck the police and you feel it you understand like you understand right away you're like yeah i understand why he wrote that you know i you like you you get the motivation and i think in a biopic the best thing you can do is understand why the artists created the art that they Well, thanks for tuning in to the Brown and Black Podcast. We hope you enjoyed our film analysis of Straight Outta Compton and our four-part series discussing four culturally significant black films from Universal Pictures' home entertainment's fault. Thank you to Universal Pictures for the paid support of this episode. And just for our Brown and Black listeners, you can buy this movie for $7.50. From now until February 28th at Get Out, Queen and Slim, straight out of Compton, do the right thing and girl strip to your movie collection. Just go to voodoo.com and redeem the code celebrate black history. No space celebrate black history for details. Check out our episode show notes in the description. And for those who want to stay updated on upcoming movies, sign up for universal pictures, home entertainment, email newsletter at uphe.com slash news. That is uphe.com slash news and that's it for this special episode of brown and black if you would like to support this podcast please subscribe and leave a review your help will allow us to be heard by many more people this episode was edited by joshua Tirado. you can follow our comments and opinions on at brown black podcast on twitter instagram and now on youtube we'll see you on the next episode of brown and black mm-hmm.